0: Welcome to episode 2 of the Horus Heretics. I'm Neil McComb and I'm William Herburn. We'll be finishing up with Horus Rising today. We left the book with Abaddon and Loken covering up an attack by one of their brothers who had turned into a sort of wolf beast and mm. Horus had told Loken about the mysteries of the war. So I think we're starting. Do you want to start, William, on uh, the name of this second section? Should we dive deep? Should we, should we really <laughs> get to grips with what this second section is? Be- we'll before we, them. before uh, before you begin, I just before want I've to done. remind everyone that spiders had not been mentioned. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: the thing is, Neil. I don't think we're going to have to spend a long time analyzing this title because it kind of <laughs> it kind of does the job so effectively. <laughs> It doesn't leave. What I'm saying is, it doesn't leave much room for interpretation. Um,
0: okay, what's it? What's it called then?
1: Part two, uh, Brotherhood in Spiderland. Um,
0: <laughs> Brotherhood in Spiderland. So, oh
1: no, it, yeah, it's fair to say if you just got to this part of the book uh, for the first time, having never read it, it would there would be plenty of ambiguity in this title. But having read the 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 chapters that proceed from this point. Um, there is no ambiguity in the title whatsoever, but we'll, we'll get onto that.
0: But that's interesting because I had read it before, and then I got to this section, and I was like, "What? What the fuck does that mean?" <laughs> like, I, um, I had they had not mentioned spiders, and I was like, "Well, Spiderland is that?" Are they after yeah. all of this sort of Roman bullshit and the and the Baroque naming? um conventions that they have are well, they so, going to make are they going to name something spiderland is that what well, really- i
1: think Spiderland's actually never as far as i can tell never actually used in the text right <laughs> what this kind of makes me think of a bit is like you know in the editorial protest in the black library like dan abnett had forgot to give a title for part two of horus rising and he was like on the phone with the editor and like the, and there's basically like you know um well, where, where is it what well, goes on in this part of the book and he's like "What's well, in this kind of spider land there's loads of spiders running all over the place <laughs> and someone's like what's the main theme uh basically a lot of brotherhoods going on between you know some genetically enhanced warriors well you know not that they would do that of course in the you
0: actions
1: know, of um warhammer 40k war you know but uh that's that's basically it right in the nose that's what when I mean, we can just leave it there for part two and that would pretty much be it described <laughs>
0: Um, uh but I think we want to dive in just a little bit deeper than that. Well, it starts off badly, I'm afraid, this chapter, because um we start on a planet called murder. <laughs> it's um it starts off on the nose and it just it just stays on that nose, really. It doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. But yeah, okay, let's 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 move on beyond. The, be- on this um, we meet the Emperor's children they are, they are the um, the legion on, on murder it's the first time I think we hear about them and I think also the first time that we really go in depth on another legion the um, Imperial Fists were mentioned before and we met one or two of them but this is the first time that we really go in on another legion and how they interact with the Luna Wolves we meet the main hero of the Emperor's Children called Saul Tarvitz and uh, another bloke called Lucius. Yeah.
1: Um, Sorry, I was going to say, I think we want to talk about these guys.
0: Yeah, the sort of overarching thing about the Emperor's Children is that they are proud, <laughs> haughty, kind of our uh, ar- souls Like, kind of, I, I don't know. I-, I, In my head, I have, like, frat boy kind of meatheads. But they they go to great lengths that say to say that their their pride haughty tones is not superiority but is actually them striving for purity that that's what they say yeah,
1: there's like they talk about wanting to like, achieve perfection
0: yeah that's it and and salt hmm. salt who's the, the seems to be some <clears throat> sort of some captain um he's not really that is he i mean he seems he seems pretty okay <laughs> i yeah. think
1: what what sol Tarvis is to me is already he's like the second iteration in the space of one book of the the stock protagonist character that loken is it just sort of seems basically the same character isn't he he's like this basically kind of reasonable slightly doubting about the excesses of his own legion but still a kind of You know, mighty warrior sort of character as as Loken is essentially.
0: Yeah, yeah. He is (coughs) a lot of the Black Library authors like this kind of character. He is a stoic, you know, doesn't cause a lot of trouble, but, you know, likes to get by. He is a true believer, but he's not a zealot. He's fairly reasonable. He's kind of bland, kind of blank, boring character. Uh, A (coughs) a lot like Loken, I think, yeah. But then for some reason, he's friends with uh, Lucius. He, never, never explained who's a complete dick.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's the first proper iteration of a character that I believe crops up uh, many times in this series, at least in the books I've already read, of this kind of hothead, arrogant, skilled uh, warrior, uh, ostentatious in their display of, you know, combat skills, who is just obviously going to turn to chaos as soon as that becomes an opportunity. Uh, <laughs> Within the story.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, um, at, but at least, like, I, I liked him in this because at least he really did suit the kind of portrayal of the Emperor's children. Like, yeah. They were all saying, yeah. And I, I was like, oh, well, at least that's, um, at least there's a bit of differentiation going on here. And he was like, he was horrible. And I enjoyed hating him. Horus and the fleet uh, mm-hmm. reply replying to a distress call from the planet Murder set out on their way and we hear a little bit about the alien species. Again, it's a bit, it's hard for me to say this out loud, but they're called Mega Arachnids and they are the species on Murder and we hear a little bit more about them, but also just like the general uh, explicit xenophobia of the human Race—they really don't like any alien whatsoever. Yeah, and and obviously in the case of the mega arachnids on Murder,
1: you can kind of understand a bit of hostility because these are scary, aggressive, giant metallic spider things. Um, this is this is Spiderland. If anyone hasn't got it yet, <laughs> uh, Murder is, is Spiderland. That's what this is. Um, but um oh god, there's more I can say about that title, but I'll leave it. And you know what? I actually quite like. Murder. I quite like this section of the book because it's just very sort of classic, not classic sci-fi, but you know, it's just it's very just conjuring up sort of this unusual, distinctive planet they're on, where you've got these spiders rampaging about. They've kind of got um, what is it? They're walking about, and it's like they describe it as like giant stalks of grass. Yeah,
0: it's it's like a it, they they call it a grass forest. So the the grass, is individual blades that just go straight up in the air. And like just go up for like meters and meters and meters. And these um, spider monsters like zip in about and perform sort of guerrilla attacks on the groups of Emperor's children that are down there. And just are like picking them off one by one and destroying them. Cutting their heads off and doing kind of cool stuff. I, I totally agree that when uh, the author is like describing the alien world and the, the territories of the planet it's real good really clips along at a really great pace and this yeah and the colors of
1: the land sorry i I thought it was this it's it's like on an undulating plane of ferrous red dust from which a sea of gigantic grass stalks grows so they're they're um and they're gray white like dirty ice it says so it was this i don't know I, i just those two colors in my head yeah created quite a Vivid
0: picture. It's of this kind, kind of like what was that last star wars film yeah
1: no that's exactly what i was thinking of uh, uh the last jedi and the, the battle scene at the end when it's like white and white and reds the whole aesthetic yeah of it. yeah yeah it reminded me of that as well um and the other main feature of this planet is like these giant sort of mushroom structures it describes it as but I think we get on to
0: them. I'll let you bring those up because I've forgotten what those are.
1: (laughs) So it was was a curious, I'll I'll read directly from the text now. Um, It was a curious thing, (laughs) apparently made of a calcified white stone and it dwarfed the surrounding sea of stalks. It was shaped like a wide-capped mushroom, a 50-metre dome supported on a thick squat trunk 10 metres broad. The dome was an intricate hemisphere of sharp bone-white thorns, angled and sharply pointed, the barbs some two or three metres in length. So that's they—they find one of them, I think, initially, and, and then find more.
0: Oh, is well, I've I've got that written in my notes as uh, trees. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, if you want to sort of overdo it a little bit, that's fine. I thought it was guilting the lily a little, but let's move, let's go on. Um, so, oh, this 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 is a weird thing, and uh, Horace was speaking. <clears throat> Uh, chthonic, which is like the the native language of those, of the Luna Wolves basically. Uh, it used to be the language they spoke on their homeworld, but it's now like a, a kind of battle cant but Loken remarks that um, he speaks it with a low bry accent um, and I was like, what is this? But then I sort of read it again in preparation for this and Loken actually thinks that it might be put on that it's like an affectation.
1: Oh, you he says that Horace speaks with a... Yeah. A, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, like, as if he... I can't remember um, exactly what the reason behind it was, but this somehow um, endeared him to the Legion more that he spoke in the
0: back or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, this won't be the first time I bring this man up, but I kind of kind of think of Danny Dyer in these <laughs> situations, you know, like, putting on a, a, a fake mockney accent And just like getting in with the boys, you know, you know, just I don't have anything more to say about that. I just think it's just one more thing of Horace being (laughs) a complete dickhole. Um, At this point, we should mention that there is some music that um, is sort of playing in the background, like as a sort of background radiation that... Was given so little prominence that I really forgot about it until it becomes a plot point later on. But uh, so we should do the same thing: flag it up now, yeah, and then forget, and then and then forget about it until it becomes relevant. So then we go back down to the planet, and the mega arachnids are jumping about the giant grass landscape. The emperor's children are just being flogged, but they love it. They love a good battle, a good worthy foe. Wait, um, but, uh, it's very entertaining
1: yeah they're, they're enjoying themselves sorry I forgot about a crucial well, not a crucial but I forgot about part of the reason they are down there in the first place was they're not some blood angels another legion had originally oh, yeah. gone down and then the emperor's children had heard their distress call and that's why they were down on the planet.
0: Good point. And uh, they are sort of stuck there, and they can't be reinforced because of some very uh, convenient storms that stop sensors from working. Uh, so they can't really be followed from the ships.
1: Yeah, uh, in orbit. More I mean, on that later. well you say, you think that would be bad, but Lucius is basically having the time of
0: his life. According, he's to in it. he's in his element. The, the at this point, I think. They're starting to get some uh, sensations that they may all be about to die. They may be stuck uh, on the planet, and this foe really is pretty tricky to kill. Yeah, um, they they reach a clearing in the the grass forest. All all kinds of lightning starts hitting them. A big storm. It's all. It's really good. It's really good. You fly through this part of the book hardly even reading it (laughs) you're just like the pages fly by and uh, you're just getting lots of alien color then they get swarmed by some flying insects now it is a bit sci-fi staple to have an insect race with all these different cadres you know different subspecies of alien but i don't mind that at all it's a staple for a reason it's really good yeah, this I mean this bit is pure Starship Troopers really isn't it? Um, yeah, um which they should make a book series on that would be great. <laughs> um so the these flying creatures start picking up some of the emperor's children, flying them away. The the people left behind follow and find these these flying uh, insect creatures piercing their comrades on these spiny tree mushrooms as we've <laughs> agreed to call them. <laughs> And, like, just piercing them on that just, like, to keep them still and just eating them, just ripping them apart. It's it's horrifying. It's really great. There are, like, uh, thorn trees. Have you seen these, like, on nature documentaries? There's, like, thorn tree birds in, I think it's Africa or maybe Australia. I can't remember. But, like, yeah, they just, they, they do this. They catch oh, their, yeah. um, mice and stuff and impale them on thorns and just rip them to pieces. It's it was gross then, and it is uh, gross here too. I find this the, the structure of this book a bit frustrating because just when you're thinking, this is a great <laughs> part, it cuts away to like the ship or it, the, it plays with the timeline a little bit and it'll cut back or cut <coughs> forward. And you're never quite sure where you are. It, it's frustrating. So after that really good chapter, we go with Loken trying to find Cinderman on the ship. And he finds him reading some old poetry and sort of studies of old Earth cultures, and it becomes clear that his faith has been slightly shaken by the uh, the chaos monster attack. They talk a little bit about the dark past of humanity and uh, of human reunification. I thought this would be this would be an interesting point. I think they didn't do anything with it, but they talk about. You know, the, the dark past, human reunification, all the wars that went up and the, how the Emperor brought everyone together. And it's all done with, like, the talk of mythology. It would be really interesting to, like, somehow revisit that. And and perhaps I was questioning, like, did did this all happen? Is this, could this just be something that the Emperor created as a, you know, a, a useful backstory uh, yeah. for yeah. for himself as the saviour?
1: That would be cool if they um if if that was if they did something with that idea, yeah. I mean I, I suspect not is their intention. <laughs> but um
0: <laughs> You surprise me.
1: Just because uh, but yeah, I mean I suppose I suppose there is yeah, it does it does play up the idea that's sort of been mythologized and talks about like one of the actually Loken goes away from this encounter with a book, doesn't he? That's kind of talks about it being written in we know he's like, Oh, this isn't you know realistic but it's written it's kind of entertaining to
0: read kind of thing yeah i can't remember what it's called but it, it is like it's a, a a book of tales of of woe and dark stories and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah i genuinely don't know in the rest of the war which will
0: be interesting to find out if i
1: do read more of these books what like maybe that maybe they do do something with that, that the emperor's actually just sort of lied about the early history or something that would, that would be pretty cool but um, as far as I know, it hasn't been done. Yeah, uh, it is. I do find it quite, I always find that quite interesting in sci-fi how they like how they um, you know in, in, in future in, in sci-fi that's set in in the same timeline as we're in that how they depict the transition from now the uh, the time we're in to whatever time the the setting is. I quite like reading that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you know the little prologues you get at the start of like Mad Max and stuff like that about. How the Earth went to shit. I just yeah. It's yeah.
0: but anyway, yeah. So you're right. He um, sentiment does give him a book to read later, and so Loken is looking through the possessions of Jabal, the person who uh, turned to chaos, and finds a silver coin. But he knows it to be a, a lodge medal. So he uh, he knows about these things called the lodges, and uh, he disapproves hugely of them. He says that the emperor has already ruled on uh, these thing called lodges and that uh, they, they're they not they're not sort of illegal groupings, but they are highly frowned on.
1: Yeah, he's he's like, tells you that Loken's pretty, like, by the book when it comes to this sort of thing, and he doesn't like them at all.
0: Yeah, well, they see themselves as sort of small confraternities of brothers meeting for brotherhood, let's say, whereas Loken frowns on them for, like, cultishness and as harmful to the unity of the legion having these other subdivisions that might be loyal to themselves rather than to the legion but along comes aximand little horace who we haven't really seen an awful lot of in the book i i would say we don't really see an awful lot of ever don't really know him as a character apart from he's meant to be a sort of slightly difficult to deal with argumentative guy yeah. but he come he comes looking and shows him his own lodge medal so he's one of the Mournival. he's he's showing uh, Loken that the Lodges are basically everywhere. It's a, They have a network throughout the entire Legion um, and invites Loken to come to one of the meetings just so we can see that his opinion of, uh, of the Lodges is not a true representation of what they actually are. Interesting again, looking forward to seeing what a Lodge me- meeting would be like, but again cut back to another scene uh so we're back on murder it is not looking good because the boys are being attacked and saul takes a few men and destroys one of the trees just as a kind of like we'll we'll give it to these aliens and we'll pick up some of the um the armor of the blood angels and take it back to sort of honor their legion
1: did more of the emperor's children come down at this point because that guy uh, Eidolon is involved at some point
0: they are attracted by the um, charges that they put on the trees and uh, it explodes and th- and they sort of form around the explosion the other emperor's children on the planet yeah they were, that's yeah. right they were already on the planet and they
1: um, Eidolon so, just is completely unreasonable <laughs> sort of arsehole isn't
0: it Eidolon do you want to go into who idolon is I um, <laughs> I
1: he was just comically unreasonable about everything. Like um, he's he's their Lord commander, which I think is like um, doesn't seem first... to be a role that they have. I don't know if they have that in the Luna Wolves, um, mm-hmm. but but he's not. He's like not the Primarch, obviously, but he's sort of the the
0: Abaddon the... figure.
1: Yeah, the high is, is Abaddon the Lord. Is he that in the Luna Wolves? The the Abaddon is the
0: <clears throat> excuse me. Abaddon is the first captain.
1: Alright, so it's kind of the equivalent of that, yeah, in their I think so. In their um terminology of their legion. And uh he's just so um obnoxious. Like he, he's just like he's pissed off with salt targets for blowing up the alien thing and um he's just generally completely unreasonable and
0: And really is uh not representative if they're trying to represent the this legion as being uh, seekers of perfection and purity rather than haughty and rude yeah. he's just haughty and rude and unable to do like the simplest task anyway insects are attacking and some of the some special insects come start rooting through the spoil of the destroyed trees uh and, and sort of gooing it back together they, they're secreting goo and sticking these trees back together the marine's attack them it all really kicks off at this point which uh, i've got a quote written down blood and meat particles spumed into the night air <laughs> now what a wonderful use of the verb spumed <laughs> um yeah very good so they're they're outnumbered they're overmatched <clears throat> they're gonna die but mcguffin of MacGuffins turns out that these trees are in some way related to the storms that stop The ship's sensors from working, but because they've destroyed the trees, there's a small hole in the storm. The ships in orbit can scan them. They see that there are life signs down there, and it's at this point that the Luna Wolves drop in from orbit and help them out. Start killing everything.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Did we really? I don't think we explained that. I think the reason the Luna Wolves are even in orbit above this planet is because they also heard the Blood Angels distress call that the Emperor's children followed.
0: Yeah, so that just happens in a nick of time. The science or the reason why these glass trees caused storms not explained. Um, no, explained. I don't, not important. Move on. Not important. Not important. Move Move on. Move on. <laughs> um, at this point, Horus and the captains of the Mournival go to the Blood Angel battle barge that is in that is in orbit. And again, this is annoying because this happens. Uh, this is the next chapter in the book, but in the timeline it actually occurred before this. And I just was not sure, where are we? Like, what are we doing here? He's walking with the Mornival, and he says, Be ready to play your parts, boys. Um, this is all a performance. They go in and they basically start berating and bullying the fleet master of the Blood Angels. Just saying, like, you have completely messed this up. You kept on sending party after party down onto the ship, or onto the, the planet. Uh, you didn't hear from them. Yet you sent more people. They're probably all dead. What were you doing? But this gives Horace the opportunity to be the peacemaker. And he goes, guys, guys, come on now. We're all friends. We're all brothers. And by the end of it, the fleet leader is just, like, completely... Pulled apart, sort of bullied in both directions, that he is asking to be reprimanded and punished for his, for his own actions. But all, all to the, all to the good of of Horus being the arch manipulator. Torgadin plays his part. He says that they, they will lead down, uh, their own party. And at this point, the gap in the storm from the destruction of the trees opens up, and Torgadin says he'll lead this party down. Horus gives his. Uh, affirmation and they go down. This chapter is also really they have the lodge stuff isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. at this point as Torgadin is readying to lead uh, an attack on the surface, Aksimand goes up to Loken and says something that sort of sent him off on a reverie remembering the lodge meeting and uh, that's where we uh, find out exactly what the lodges are and and how easy Loken is to to sort of argue around from his point of of hating these things to being a member. Do you want <laughs> to do you want to go through what these things are? Well, basically, I just
1: I really hated the lodge because I, just because I hate things like this in real life, like Masons. And- yeah secret they societies are sp- and stuff like that. Space
0: Freemasons. <laughs> yeah.
1: I just uh it just irks me even in as sort of ridiculous a fictional form as this. I can't remember war. Their their arguments are basically that like um it allows for open conversation between their brothers of different ranks, can speak to each other freely in that environment and and it's all a good thing for the for the Legion yeah. essentially. And and, and like woken he's not like but he goes from a position of, like, pure hostility to it to being like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe you've got something here. You know, maybe yeah. you're on it something.
0: It's very strange because they, they start talking about that it's a, a place to air hopes and fears and doubts outside of the chain of command. And that's, like, that's pretty interesting because it shows that there, there is a need for that, that the chain of command of, of the Legion isn't providing them with something that they need. I think they talk about it, it, it feeds their soul as men they aren't gaining something from the Legion. There is a a missing part of them. And so they're get, getting that from these sort of smaller confraternities. So the whole structure that the Emperor has created for the Legion doesn't work. <laughs> um, there, there will be, at the end of this episode, I, I think we should probably like say like what one thing we're going to be taking forward into the next books. I think mine will be that the emperor doesn't know what he's doing. And they, they explicitly say it, that the emperor doesn't understand brotherhood. He's, if he's not a god, he's like a god. He's, he's so far above them that the structures of the society that he wants to create doesn't work for anybody. It's, it's kind of ensuring uh, the decline of human society that comes in the next 10,000 years. It's sort of, that's sort of built in because the, the Emperor doesn't understand how humans need to live.
1: So it's sort of suggesting that, because basically what they, they very clearly sort of point towards at the end of this chapter, that the Lodge is going to be one of the means by which chaos influences can get into the Space Marine, and in, get into Space Marine Legions, because it says,
0: or do, is the Lodge only in the Lunar wolves or is it in... I, I'm not sure if that's described here, but uh, Erebus comes along later on. Oh, yeah. Anti- I- yeah uh he does say that they're everywhere yeah yeah and then um,
1: so there's this bit where so we're looking even after all that and he can kind of sees what he thinks you know maybe it's he thinks that maybe it's okay he still has his doubts and he says the lodge meets the secrets logically it is good at keeping itself secret i have a problem with secrets and somebody else says which is and he says if you get good at keeping them who knows what kind you end up keeping so obviously that's pointing to it being a kind of conduit for chaos conspiracies and cults and so forth getting into the Space Marine legions. But, um, but I think it's an interesting point you make that like, yeah, it's, it's, there's the this, this suggestion that that ends up being a route for uh, chaos to get in. But those lodges came about in the first place because of an inherent sort of flaw in the Emperor's
0: setup. The next chapter starts off with a really top bit of Astarte's dick swinging. They're down on murder. Torgadin is just totally giving it to Eidolon. He's, he's giving him the full business.
1: Sorry, can I just, can I just uh, just before we get on to this fully, I just want to draw your attention to an insult, that, uh, a term that I didn't really understand. Where <laughs> Basically, they're, they're talking about Woken being uptight when he's having his doubts about the watch, and Turgadin refers to him as a star charse. What the fuck?
0: A star arse. What the fuck <laughs> what, what is that? that? <laughs> Where's that come from? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, Torgadin is um, famously very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> anyway, sorry, I don't think that was worth in- interrupting. that <laughs> you know, for
0: because um, it, it really stood out to me when I read that. You know, I think there is. The, I think there was an example of some um, Space Marine swearing in here. I think one of them does say the word shit somewhere. If if I've got it written down, I will mention it. If not, I'll cut this bit out. um, Oh, yeah, we meet uh, Iacton Cruz for the first time here. A very unimportant character. Um, He's sort of described as like an old war horse, kind of a a, a grumpy... um, I don't know, like, uh, he's a bit of of an arse, but Loken starts totally mocking him to his face. Like... (laughs) Like it's it's really cruel it's just like elder abuse it's, just,
1: it's like he's just the way that the action cruise is depicted it's just like this total curmudgeon you know with this yeah
0: like. i just see like an old man with a zimmer frame although he's like he he is a full-on space marine he's like he's deadly but the way he's depicted is just like you know the old man and and lokin is just coming around kicking out his walking stick or just like <laughs> why have like, you got your why have you got your trousers pulled up so high old man what are you do <laughs> he's depicted as a curmudgeonly pub bore who's
1: just like um <laughs> they don't like drone on about stuff it sort of says like he, he goes
0: on and he just bores people with like detail and stuff yeah and they all just like kill themselves with eye rolls they're just like oh god loken who's meant to be a leader of men is a a bully i act on crews with a q let's not forget oh yeah everything that we say every spelling of a word that you think it is it's not that
1: (laughs) don't think i forgot
0: (laughs) it's not that think about putting some uh, z's where the s's should be uh, q's where there might be k's or c's Uh, that's how that's how it's done there's so, there's a bit there's a bit I really want to talk about now. Well, cuz Loken is reading that book that you mentioned earlier on and it is one of the absolute worst. It, no, it is the worst part of the book because it gives you some a, a section of the book that Loken is reading and it is the the worst mock meaningful sci-fi bullshit. <laughs> it is it is unreadable and I've got a quote here that I think is kind of encapsulates it because it goes on for pages. It's absolute dross. But the quote the quote is the Kaiser's Onera critics had warned of the Hierophant's <laughs> psiomancy and their phantasmagorian ways. <laughs> <laughs> what the what is that? Every one of those words has too many letters in it. I know I've um I've said in the previous episode that I love highfalutin cod bullshit language. <clears throat> That is a good line. I love that line. But the whole, the whole part of this, the whole history of the world is garbage, and it is. <laughs> it, it stops the book from flowing because the second part of this book is by far the best. Uh, it just clips along. Xeno's gets killed. Xeno's gets killed. Another one gets mashed up. Another one gets misted, and then it hits this roadblock of. Shitty sci-fi nonsense. Um,
1: yeah, I mean it is shit, but I quite enjoy this bit. Like I say, for the oh, same God. reason, the same reason that I like these kind of like when they're sort of. I mean, it's really lame how they sort of just you know slightly change place names so to make you think this is like a, a future you know name for something that we now call
0: like, yeah
1: North Africa or whatever, and they've got um uh, it's called the 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 North North African Technogogs.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, that passed me by. Could, what, a technogogue?
1: <laughs> the Nord-Afric...
0: <laughs> so much good stuff
1: here. I, I enjoy this stuff. <laughs> the Nord-Afric technogogues have preserved a great deal more high technology for the good of their conclaves than Ursh possessed. And sheer envy, more than anything, motivated the war. Callaghan was hungry for the fine instruments and mechanisms the
0: conclave <laughs> owned. Fine mechanisms. Yeah, <laughs> um, everything is every every alien machine is uh, of intricate design with fine mechanisms. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's good uh, stuff, isn't it? It's like it's like condensed black like, uh, I think. Stories I think.
0: I think maybe I just need it in like in gobbit form, you know, just like a line here, a line there. It was so dense <laughs> that I think it, I think it actually expected me to read it rather than just sort of pass over it. Loken goes and finds uh, Carcassie and Keeler. Carcassie was the poet remembrancer, and Keeler was the photographer. Carcassy, again. He's the loosh one. He was the one who complained about the smell of the warriors and and that he didn't have a good enough glass of wine. So at this point, he's having kind of like an orgy, kind of. Are well, there um, a big party? Hiring yeah, or whatever it is. Yeah, there's loads of loads of music. People are getting drunk. Um, and Loken basically bursts in in his humourless way and says, "Yo, take me to see Keeler. I haven't seen her." Uh, carcassie says, "Oh, she's really badly affected by having seen uh, what she saw when uh, the chaos monster attacked them." This I find this really I I give this a heavy eye roll. Uh, Keeler, who is meant to be, I think, having a mental breakdown, like she's falling apart, and that is depicted uh, in this book in the most trite, boring way, in that she's drinking and having sex with people, and Uh, did you get did you have the same read on that 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 was meant to be like her falling to pieces
1: yeah it definitely was
0: meant to be her being sort of traumatized
1: by the i don't know if she that was um oh yeah no no no, because the the guy that she's in a relationship with is he's He's some guardsman yeah but he's like he's connected to remember that at the end of this bit some kind of it's like a cult of the emperor, basically, that she's meant to be drawing. Solid. Say, say
0: th- can, can you say the name for me, there, William?
1: Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but if you could, uh, if you have it there,
0: is, uh, is that for real, or do you just know what to say
1: it? No, I've, I've literally forgotten what it's called. Oh,
0: it's called the Lectitio Divinitatis. <laughs> 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 oh, God, no, no, what I'm are not... we reading?
1: What are we reading? <laughs> You know, you know that way, like people put Jedi down in the census like, for the vote. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm doing next. Time.
0: <laughs> the, the people who put Jedi down look down on the people who say that. They go, "Oh God, what losers! What total losers would do that?" Uh, anyway, nobody, nobody allied in the Jedi Order. I can tell you that much. Anyway, I, I just felt that it was a really weird thing to do to treat basically the only woman in the in the, the book and say that, oh, she's having what looks like a fun life and that that's her falling apart. It just seems like an old-fashioned...
1: Yeah, no, uh, I see what you mean. Yeah, um,
0: definitely. I mean, even leaving that aside,
1: or not leaving it aside, but even just looking at it more generally, this is like, for a, a good writer, shall we say, this would be like one of the most the deepest emotions or whatever or thing to describe or or get into in the book but this book's basically like just gives you a few signifiers that this is the case and
0: is on to yeah stuff about chaos or whatever it's like not um, it's it's just a bunch of shorthands that you're meant to know and it's genre fiction so yeah, yeah no, i no, guess no. that's fine but, but i just mean like i just mean that's you know a Someone, a, ma- I a Margaret it. Atwood or something would have gone. This would have been a really, really great scene. Or, like, yeah, and just give some depth
1: and richness to the character that's experiencing this depth of feeling for whatever reason. But, um, yeah. I suppose, I suppose, I suppose, <laughs> that, I th- remember, th- remember th- the reason she's feeling this is because she, she saw a mad chaos muted monster Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that's, yeah, okay, that's a fair point that's a fair point i feel reprimanded by that, by that one. <laughs> um but you i mean okay so there is there is no feeling in, in this part um but she she admits that to loken or or not ad, admission is the wrong word but she has has had a full-on religious experience she follows this new cult the emperor protects that's what she says and that. A lot of the stuff that has gone on, she's seen through this, the fake story. She sees through all that, but she's kind of okay with it because there are some things in the universe that are just too big for her. She's happy enough with the the, the knowledge in her mind that the Emperor will protect everyone. So, Loken uh, is talking to Mercedes, his personal remembrancer, uh, <clears throat> about Ulanor, which is where the The Emperor left the Crusade and um, really made Horus Warmaster oh, yeah. uh, after leading the destruction of uh, the Orcs on uh, on Olenor. And it goes into a lot of detail about basically a planet-wide military parade.
1: <laughs> Wait, this bit is brilliant in terms of, like, you can't get any more Black Library or, like, you know, yeah. Warhammer for yeah, so universe in this
0: they they flatten a mountain range like they flatten a, a continent <laughs> so that um, so that enough like warriors and titans and military hardware can appear together to like have a big sort of north korean style passing out parade it's um it is yeah it is peak black library
1: yeah with with industrial melters and geoformer engines <laughs> um, yeah the, the, the mechanic so yeah this is it this is describes what happened the mechanicum had plain smooth an entire continent as a stage for the <laughs> <laughs> that's just that is just that's a lot yeah <laughs> it's, it's a lot and yeah, they did it with industrial melted and geoformer engines. Mountains were erased of their matter used to infill valleys. The surface was left smooth and endless. A vast table of dry, polished rock chippings. It took months to
0: accomplish. I haven't thought about this for even the barest of seconds, but I'm going to suggest that there's a better way of doing that. Um, <laughs> it's all for you. There's nobody else. You're not impressing anyone. But it's like, it's really funny because it's like,
1: it's... Like when they describe the amount of people the amount of space marines that are at this, yeah, it's a lot, right? But it doesn't doesn't require if you've got a continent's worth of like stage essentially or or arena or whatever, then presumably, like, they're not going to be able to see it (laughs) from
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. There's just a lot of people just going, just standing about, just going. Has it started? Oh, it's finished. Oh, I
1: see. I... That's like that's like uh, we're sitting here in the UK and the Emperor's talking in like Romania, say. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or or per- perhaps they just haven't got the scale correct, and they've they've got this huge stage, and they <laughs> they're just right in the middle of it. This tiny tiny group of like a few hundred or a few thousand people surrounded by this ocean of endless nothingness <laughs> as as they just pat themselves on the back and just go look at how we've flattened this planet well done everyone <laughs> yeah. it's really good for this like one off <laughs> event for this one off event where if you just like a, a bird flying over the top of them is just going wow that looks like n- nobody's turned up to this these losers party <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. Like, there's a slight problem with your uh, bird sort of uh, anecdote. Is presumably, if a bird had flown overhead, you know, a thousand space marines would have turned in unison and and uh, uh, misted it with a,
0: with bulker <laughs> shells. But um, yeah, you're right for for being Xenos. <laughs> <laughs> a Xenos bird. <laughs> when it interrupted their important. <laughs> <settlement>. <laughs> It didn't last long in a hail of of <laughs> fire and exploding mass-reactive shells.
1: <laughs> a continents worth of space marines unleashed their. Uh, there says hundred thousand warriors. You can get a hundred thousand people just about. Well, you, you can get them in, in some like normal Earth stadiums. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but these are these are space marines, so they're about I think a third or maybe a half bigger. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of armour as well, William. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, maybe maybe four football pitches. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, you know, by all means, like, level, like, a Scotland's worth of area, but, like,
0: <laughs> all of Europe, you know, it's like... They used Ben Nevis to fill in Loch Lomond. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that would be enough. That would be, like... <laughs> Loch Lomond would be plenty.
0: Um, <laughs> I would give you a a nice... Um, a nice new tourist attraction. It's always worthwhile. I we've think... got uh, we've got the Game of Thrones. You can have the Emperor's <laughs> you know, passing out ret- for ret- 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Um So what happens at this point is that this is where Sanguinius comes along, isn't it? This is where he joins the fleet. Um yes. And, uh, and a big thing is made about he and Horus being the most <clears throat> alike. Um at Ullinor there was a lot of infighting a lot of primarchs not particularly happy with Horus's choice as Warmaster, but Sanguinius and Horus are very close, and Sanguinius is uh, uh, Sanguinius has wings. We should really make that very clear. He is a human-shaped thing with big white wings.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, well, just yeah, there's some of the some of the primarchs are described here in, in a little passage that I think is quite good. So they seem to embody human characteristics: Angron, red and angry; Dorn, solid and implacable; Magnus, veiled in mystery, and Sanguineus, of course, so perfect, so charismatic.
0: <laughs> so. so, so we have human characteristics: <laughs> anger, solidness, and perfection, and being veiled in mystery. Um. <laughs> oh, they, I mean, it's, does this not just like go to my point that the emperor thinks that splitting out these human traits so that they have like exemplars that exhibit only one of these things is really weird? Like, what? what why would you think that's a, a useful thing? I know because you're reading this and
1: you're like, okay, angry, red and angry, chaos, dorn solid and implacable, you know, emperor. Magnus veiled in mystery, veiled in chaos, more like I imagine.
0: <laughs> I think you may be introducing some spoilers into the <laughs> tale here. Um,
1: sorry, that's just that was pure analysis of the text.
0: <laughs> Sanguineus, yes. Yeah, uh, I think what would be good to keep because every time we meet a new legion, or every time we meet a new, I think you might have mentioned this last uh, in last episode. But uh, every time we meet a new legion or a new uh, primarch, they're always the most something. Or this legion is always the closest to this legion because of their shared something. Yeah, we'd like to keep like a big wall with you know red thread just joining all the different legions together. I know Uh, because I think they're all the same. I think it's essentially they're all um, the most something with someone else because of something. But it's, so, it's yeah,
1: just Yeah. And it's like the the right you know, the classic writing advice like show, don't tell, basically. You know yeah. I mean? So it's always just saying, Oh, this Legion is the the closest to um to to horus or whatever, you know, or the closest to the Emperor, or the closest to another other legion, or just about yeah. as close as this other legion and almost as much of a brother to Oris as so and so was it was just all stuff like that and like and obviously yeah like Primarch just being defined by this like you know just being told straight up this is what they are red and angry you know I mean? just, <laughs> yeah, like,
0: yeah. It's like it's not really another fake conversation between the editor and the author the editors just like um can you can you show Angron? I mean, he's called Angron. <laughs> like, is it possible to show he's a little bit angry? Well, he um, he's red. Okay, but can we can we show it? No, it's it's not possible. It, it, human anger is impossible to portray in words. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, Magnus. Um, Magnus is a magician as well. Like, <laughs> right. Yes, he's veiled in mystery, isn't he? He's veiled in mystery. But can't he just, like, how about he just does a magic spell? No, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Don't have enough words for that, mate. <laughs> okay. It's just, oh, it's just crazy. But I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so Sanguinius has a chat with Horus. He is very much in favour of Horus being the war master. He tries to help might. out. He's a, a sounding board, gives good advice. But obviously there's work to be done on murder. And they basically drop and have a six-month-long campaign where everyone just goes down onto murder, and they just have a really great time destroying bugs and burning down those trees. And uh, it clearly is like a, a nice break for for Horus from like getting away from all the the difficult discussions and difficult decisions that have to be made as War Master. He's just down, down there doing what he likes to do, which is destroy stuff. The
1: two Primarchs go down and yeah. And like yeah. Wilkins going on, I'm sure there's some passage for Wilkins just absolutely loving the sight of seeing his Primarch getting in the mixer,
0: getting <laughs> getting in the mixer. Yeah, Sanguinius brings up the fact that the Emperor suggested that the Luna Wolves change their name to the Sons of Horus. Sons of Horus, because that will. I guess that will sort of engender a kind of cult of personality about the person of Horus. And it will it'll help him as a war master because he will be, you know, this, this focal point. But it's at this point that sort of deus ex machina, some ships arrive and we've never seen them before. But they berate the humans for not heeding the warnings that they had left.
1: And that's the, the, the sounds that were coming from... Or the signals that were coming from Murder. The music was meant to be
0: the warning. These are the uh, this is the introduction of the Interrex, uh, new empire of humans. They are a really advanced empire. They've got obviously got space travel, and we find out that the planet Murder was actually a sort of prison planet. Uh, they had encountered the um, mega arachnids before and had defeated them and imprisoned them on this planet. Uh, so obviously they are advanced in warfare as well. And there's an interesting line because there's a, a lot of the Lunar Wolves um, want to make war on the Interrex. They say that uh, contradictions cannot be countenanced. Uh, the contradiction here is basically this empire has never needed the Emperor, um, has never needed Space Marines, has never needed the Imperial Creed to become the equals of the Astartes or to of the Imperium of Mankind. They, um, pretty much all of the Mournival are barracking for war. They want to get stuck right in. Uh, but Horus is sort of holding them back and he says that they'll learn from them and once they've learned enough from them, they will decide whether they've strayed too far from humanity. They do,
1: they sort of Give some indication that the Interrex, like they are humans, but they've sort of evolved along a slightly different path, don't they? Yeah, at some points. Yeah, so you get the the indication, like, that the, at least at some points in their history, the Interrex have been sort of warlike and and so on, but, um, and they still have weapons and and stuff.
0: But they're, in particular, they're in a museum. Yeah. Yeah, and compared to the compared
1: to the, the space mines though, they seem pretty, you know, chill.
0: When um Horace goes down to a an embassy, I think, to further some discussions, he sees that there is like a vibrant culture of like art and music and architecture and there's a museum of uh, weaponry from the olden days. And so yeah, I mean it, it is clear that this is an advanced species but that its people are happy there is a use for people beyond warfare and i can see why we would prefer to live in this society but horus being so taken with them is uh, a, a slight head scratcher i suppose
1: yeah i mean to be honest like,
0: i'm a lot of the time i'm
1: just never really sure what they're trying to do with horus in these at least in this book and i think in the
0: so good yeah books. i mean is, is this the way into uh chaos is is this all meant to foreshadow the fact that he's asking questions here and he is questioning the imperial creed <clears throat> it's it's not it's not that it's not made emphatic enough it's just that it's so sporadic that i just don't know if there is a coherent yeah and it just seems it
1: swing back and forth in a way that doesn't always seemed to make sense but
0: but uh, we should back up a little i suppose because before horus goes down to that that summit we meet erebus first chaplain of the word bearers so i'm not quite sure about the position of first chaplain but i think he's more spiritual leader rather than um war leader for the world word bearers, but that might might just be a different terminology. Again, the word bearers are so close to the lunar wolves, blah 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 blah.
1: <laughs> and he generally speaking, Erebus is like painted as like a stand up guy, isn't he? Like in this book. Yeah. Totally. Until the very end. Like there's no Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like he's just basically painted out as being a good guy. He, he
0: he he sort of lightens the load and performs a lot of tasks for Horus and gets kind of elevated. He's in a lot of the discussions with the Mornival and the Mornival also make mention of how how helpful and what a, what a top guy this Erebus is. So yeah, there's no, there's nobody is like here. Let's this guy's a bit of a wrongin.
1: There's no foreshadowing as far as I can see no. at all until the bit that we get to at the
0: end. The Interrex are sort of keeping the the Imperium at arm's length and nobody's quite sure why. They, they, they can't quite seem to get to the nitty-gritty of the conversations. Loken is acting as a, a bodyguard as Horus is at this summit and his eyes caught by this old book, really nicely illuminated, and he starts ho- flicking through it and the interrex guard... Starts talking to him about it, and he says it's it's a treatise on the demons of chaos. This is actually a well done conversation because he's like he's fishing for the human's views on it. Yeah. Like he's sort of going, so what do you what do you think about you think about chaos? And L- Loken just seems like the most gormless goon. Because he's like, don't know what you're talking about me. I've n- I've never heard the word before in my life. Literally. What are you talking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really really embarrassing because the InterX guard gets like pretty patronising. And he's just like, oh my god. Oh my god, you don't even know. You seem very warlike. You seem like you may be like touched by chaos. But you're not, you're just ignorant. <laughs> you're just horrible. You're just, you just, <laughs> just How How can you travel in the warp without knowing this stuff? And it turns out that the Eldar taught the interrex of the demons in the warp and of chaos. And he's like super shocked. And he's like, I need to tell people about this because everyone has been arguing In the Interrex about whether we should bring you closer because we just don't know and Logan is like if I'm ignorant I will cop to being ignorant but don't laugh at me you know he's like really he's like really bledgeoned as you would be to somebody who's (laughs) laughing in your face He's like I don't even know why you're laughing at me like it's the right at this point the Interx gets like called on the radio and gets told that the Museum of Weaponry is on fire and asks for loken's weapon he's going to take him into custody and loken's all like nah you just laughed in my face you don't think <laughs> i'm Nah, that's not happening anyway this sort of back and forth goes on a bit loken doesn't kill him but sort of disables him and runs away but then plenty more is happening and uh he's, he's like nah fuck it he starts killing everything he meets up with horace and gets him safely eyed onto the street and explains to Horace about, they didn't. It's about chaos. They thought we might be touched by chaos. And in fact, we don't know anything about chaos. It's our ignorance that has got us into this situation. Cut to Erebus on the ship, I think, uh, later on. Um, and he has stolen a particular weapon from the museum called the anathene, which was, again, not really described very well, but it's it's something that once it is given a target, it becomes sort of becomes the nemesis of one single target. And it's meant to be a very bad weapon. But, uh, I mean, that just sounds like any weapon. In fact, any weapon sounds better than that because you can use it on anyone. Like, so, yeah,
1: basically, Erebus has... Seemingly started the fire that caused this whole ruckus and stolen this thing.
0: Ruckus. Um, this this kerfuffle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which again is just kind of like it's kind of like out of nowhere isn't it it's just i suppose like it could be th- this is his coming out he's a big part in the coming books i think isn't he so yeah maybe you just have to think of these things as uh the story is the series rather than the book is the story if you see what i mean yeah yeah i just
1: mean like I, I, when you're presenting this character who's like has this huge significance and like basically his introduction is just he's just a helpful guy on the show <laughs> But that's that's. But I don't know. It's not even like there's no sort of indication of like being manipulative for you know I don't know like
0: maybe no he he's always like bringing the sandwiches or something <laughs> yeah. you know, he's, like, he's like helping out at the buffet <laughs> uh, but yo that's it that's the end of the book there we are, I think yeah. like that's Erebus sort of. Uh, I see him, like, stroking the knife, the and just going soon, soon <laughs>
1: But if only there was some more of that, like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's, that's kind of what I want, just like some hammy bad guy, like, you know, but it's just like yeah. a nothingness sometimes, just a sort of madness like, about Horus, about him, like, that's why for on, like, sort of like, he sort of was just a ridiculously
0: overblown, sort of arrogant mean... And Luci- Yeah, exactly, like Lucius, that's why, why I liked him was that he was just so, he was reprehensible yeah, just, and yeah, just, I suppose that's why he stood out. I guess just like
1: turn into the turn
0: into the the
1: skid, essentially. You know what I mean? Just like um, I've actually at the end of my edition, there's a little short story, but I haven't read it, so I can't say anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> your edition. Follow along on your in your Cambridge versions, <laughs> yeah. listeners.
1: So, yeah, annotated, the annotated Blackwell, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, the, the Norton edition with like, <laughs> the real introductory essays by scholars. Um, the thing is, um, there, there are scholars of the Black Library, but they're not like they're not like sort of literary critics or anything like that. It's like just scholars of the lore you know like just learning as much of the lore yeah it's just
0: a just a bunch of wikipedia editors yeah, yeah and, um, it's just the the problem with um with i think the whole universe is that it's got great lore like it the lore is terrific but the, the stories are not that good because lore's like I'm not sure if I got into this. There's a particular bee in my bonnet at the minute, but lore is quite easy. It it is Wikipedia. It's just unconnected bits. Yeah. A a story is a plot. It's a narrative that incorporates all of that. I think that's a good good way of
1: putting it. Like, like stuff like this always makes me think of uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, right? And like, mm -hmm. when people, when like critics and stuff were talking about that, you know, they'd always be like, oh, you know, it's really incredible vision of the future and all this stuff and i'd be like like having you know watched mad max and played fallout or whatever and all the other many other depictions of a sort of post-apocalyptic future i was like it's it's kind of annoyed me a little bit i was like i mean it's a really good book don't get me wrong and the film's good as well but i was like this is not some like new vision It's maybe much better written but it's just like essentially the setting was sort of standard genre fiction
0: theory. yeah no I, exactly and some authors get away with it like as we record this i think ian McEwen um said something like a month or two ago about how he wanted to tell this like really standard sci-fi story but wanted to do it in sci-fi is, is that what he said and like it, it was like really sniffy and it just read like some po faced author Who's never read sci- sci-fi is now going to do a sci-fi story, and he expects everyone to like be like, "Oh my goodness!" When it's just like uh, par for the course. Yeah, um, yeah. I Ian McEwan is a brilliant author, by the way. But yeah, which is kind
1: of like annoying. I suppose when people act like that, but like it is like often the case that I mean there are not to say there aren't good writers in sci-fi. There obviously are, but a lot of I mean it's it is it would be fair to say that a lot of it is shit. Like and mm-hmm. um. And it's kind of the case with the Black Library. I sometimes just think, oh, imagine if you like, you got you know someone who could write a good story, like you say, to take this war and do something really interesting with it. Like, I think there totally would be mileage there for some something really, really good. And don't get me wrong; these books are entertaining. But like I just said, sometimes I feel like they don't turn quite enough into the the pulp like, I would like them to yeah. be. it's sort of this really like, I mean, yeah, really like sometimes really good, really vivid effective action scenes or sort of descriptive passages about alien planets and whatnot but then just like some really sort of pull-faced ledding dialogue and yeah i mean i think we touched on the attempts at humor in the books
0: and (laughs) just they what i love about them as i've said before is some real weird dialogue and um word salad bullshit which is just which i i I love (laughs) what i what i hate is often portentousness and i i am not quite sure how to describe it because i i totally agree turn all the way into it but i'm not quite sure if i'm able to put a finger on for myself when that turns into uh, sci-fi nonsense but i mean. yeah, sorry. You know, now just you know when um, in the uh, what was it? What's that game called in Destiny? In the first Destiny game, they had all of this lore in grimoire cards that you had to go onto a website to see. Did you ever read any of those? No, no. They were the worst hacky sci-fi bullshit. Uh, just like all the the guns in Destiny had names and they were all called like the breath of tomorrow or the the rain on a sunshine beach or you know like just it was all things that had that were meant to sound like they had a history and a past but clearly didn't and it was just words put together yeah yeah to portray this i i i i know i'm sort of contradicting myself here but there is there is a boundary between what i want And this horror story of bad sci-fi writing. Yeah, I mean, what what
1: I think it could do with this
0: because it is
1: um, setting that I feel in some shares a lot of similar heritage to uh, the Warhammer and Warhammer Forty Thousand settings is is like stuff from two thousand AD, and I think it's a sort of there's there's a kind of British sensibility to sci-fi in both of those. But it's certainly done much better in 2000 AD than it's done here. I think this book could do more, do with more of that kind of like bombastic character and humor of mm. of 2000 AD. Just a bit more of that. Um, but it's it's kind of the tone of largely very serious, really. You know what I mean? Um, and sometimes I would like a bit more.
0: Um, I agree, but like humor, humor is hard. But I would say no humor. Is is preferable to bad yeah. humour.
1: Unfortunately what we've ended up with is bad <laughs>
0: <laughs> But only only sporadically, I think. I don't it's not this isn't trying to be a funny book. Yeah. Or or, 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 might, or, I, or at least Am I just being a star chart about all this?
1: I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> yes, that that came up within the text. <laughs> okay. So I I think what's the next book in the series? What's the next one we're gonna do? Oh shit.
1: Um I can't remember. I did see it in a charity shop the other day. I still haven't actually bought it, but um, yeah, I'll, see, I'll see in my book here. Sorry. Um, False Gods.
0: False Gods. So that's the one we're going to be going on for. Is there anything that you think you're going to sort of watch for, either character development or plot development or anything like that?
1: Well, the main thing that I'm always watching for or when I'm reading these books is like, when's the chaos coming in? like at least yeah. at this stage you know um where's the chaos
0: Cause, element because uh, something that uh, like i've read a bunch of these books by no means all of them and i've read like quite far into the timeline and i i i'm not sure what the appeal of chaos is even after reading so much of it and i wonder if it if that's my feeling in just not having picked it up correctly I'll be watching out for that for sure to see if that's a plot line that's well told. Yeah, I mean, as, like, as far
1: as I've read before in this series, um, I only ever really, I didn't never got much, like, I, pretty much all the books I've read have been at the stage of, like, with different legions, how was, like, chaos getting into them kind of thing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's always generally been at that stage or just after rather than, like, I assume, like, by the time you're on like, book, Thirty-five, like it's pretty much accepted that there are a lot of Chaos Space Marine legions on the go by that point, you know. What, uh, what book number did you say there? Thirty-five.
0: How many books are there?
1: Um, according to the back of this book, fifty-four. Ooh, <laughs> and that includes. A hold, bunch hold of-
0: let's let's do let's do some maths here. I'm going to go, go on to the Wikipedia page. Oh my, right. 54 books in 13 years. Have you just realized what you've got yourself in for? No, I don't mind that. So Black Library have been pumping out four novels a year.
1: Well, and, and this is just one of their series. Like think about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is work to order, folks. This is this is pulp. Oh god, that I love that. This is genre fiction people come to these books knowing what they're going to get and i think it's important that they get those things as well what i would like to get would be maybe a different series that has maybe one book a year (laughs) and um and has like the author is given enough time to really come up with a story to tell the story and it doesn't need to be galaxy spanning just tell a good story get a good writer tell a good story see what happens there and like both of those things can coexist i don't want to change the mechanistic sort of way that these things are pumped out because that's great because i think you know if you only read four books a year and you're into this yes that's that's good (laughs) (laughs) your your year is planned out um but i'd say just like a bit of variety give us something a little bit more
1: yeah, so a lot of books anyway. Some of them are edited like short story collections.
0: Oh, I see. I'm just getting really into short stories. I'm not sure t- if, if short stories really work would work in this. I've, I haven't read any of them, so I can't say. But it'll be interesting to test that out. So we are going to move on and do false gods. We're going to start right now. Strap in. <laughs> no, we're not. I haven't read it yet. So we'll we will read that. It'll probably be another two episode, unless we get better at this. <laughs> the first, the first, I haven't edited that first episode yet. The recording took about three and a half hours. Yeah, that's far. That's too long. Too we'll, long. we'll get better. Yeah. We're we're sorry. We're sorry, everyone. <laughs> Do we want to say anything else, William, about uh, about what's happening next or what we're doing? I don't think so. I mean,
1: we're just going right on ahead with the story. Um, I think we're going to have it's going to be basically the same characters. In the next book so it's going to whereas with different way other books will be going into different
0: chapters and mm-hmm. stuff like that but so if anybody actually listens uh to this podcast and of that group actually wants to get in contact with us we're on twitter i let's not let's not um, give our twitter handles out let the email address is horseheretics at gmail.com get in touch i don't expect we'll get anything but you know you could be that one person and um we'll probably be checking that email account sort of once every five minutes or so 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 yeah do get in touch and until whenever the next episode comes out is um we'll say goodbye